hustler, for real a hustler. Purchase my range, niggas throwing dirt on my name. Jealous cause fiends got they working to plain. Bitches left me cause they thought it was finished. Shoulda knew she wasn't true, she came to me when a man caught a sentence. Diamonds are blinded, I never make the same mistakes. Moving with a change of pace, light a load. See now the king is straight, swelling my melon cause none of these niggas real hurting were telling police how can a kingpin squeal. This is crazy, I'm on the right track, I'm finally found. You need some soul searching, the time is now. All I need is one mic. Damn, all power to the all power to oppressed people. African power to African people. It's your brother and your host, National Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party. It's been a minute since you know I came to you and uh uh We've had a show, so it's good to be back. Great to be back. It feels good coming back on this Tuesday. I thank everyone for calling in. I know it's the first night of Kwanzaa, so let me greet you with Umoja. And, you know, wishing Umoja on our community and the community of all oppressed peoples. Um, There again, this is People's Black Panther Party talk radio, independent talk radio. It's our program. It's your opportunity to chime in with questions, comments, opinions, to share with us, um, and just to build. I think that that's my favorite part of the show, that we have this, we take this time to spend with one another and to exchange ideas. I'm a firm believer that that is what it's going to take, communalism, collective thought, you know, so it's fitting that it's Umoja tonight because I am a big um person in, in um, uh, communalism, Andy, and, and one of our principles is Ngunza Saba. We uphold to the Ngunza Saba. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get my thoughts together for us tonight, brothers and sisters. Tonight's show is going to be, if 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 not interesting, which I'm hoping to be interesting for all of us, it will be informing. It will be educational. The direction that we're going in in the party is taking the party from, and I've always said it, and you've heard me say this, just mere rhetoric to something substantial. Us as revolutionaries, we have to move past the emotionalism, the sensationalism, and begin to build on substantial ideologies, philosophies, principles that can be placed and put into practical action to see a change in our community and the community of oppressed people internationally, worldwide. Tonight's topic, the backbone of the revolution is the lumpen proletarian. The backbone of the revolution is the lumpen proletarian. So, but first, before we go into that, I thought that I should go into what the lumpen proletarian is. This may be a word that a lot of us aren't familiar with, and for some of us who have done our studies, um, we're familiar with it through the writings, a lot of times through the writings of our um, Afro-Caribbean philosopher and revolutionary, Algerian revolutionary, Franz Fanon, who spoke in-depthly about the role of the lumpen proletarian or the lumpen in the revolutionary movement and the revolutionary struggle in his writings, The Wretched of the Earth. We should, those of us who have studied our defense minister in the third development, whom is referred to by many people as the original Panther Party. Uh, our comrade Huey P. Newton speaks about the lumping and the effectiveness of the lumping. 
But for those of us that don't know what the lumping is, I'm, sorry, I'm trying to find my glasses here, brothers and sisters. Uh, I'd like to go just to give a little brief description of the lumping, as from the standpoint of Karl Marx and Frederick, Frederick Engels. I can't find my glasses. I'm going to flow off the top of my head and just give a roundabout of what the lumping, what they're saying the lumping is. They're saying that the lumping proletariat, that the Karl Marx said described the lumping proletariat as the lower layer, the lower satris, the lower layer of the working class, that they may never achieve class conscious because of their, because they don't contribute to the to the uh, production, to industri- industrial produ- production, meaning that they, you know, don't contribute to society from the working class perspective. He labeled he labeled them the undesirables, the criminals, the vagabonds, the people that were below the working class. And the reason that he said that they were dangerous was due to this fact that they were below the working class. So therefore, they were more susceptible to bribery, or to um, counter-revolutionary, reactionary means and understanding, because they didn't have anything. Let's make it plain. He's saying since they didn't have anything, if the powers that be came and offered them something, they would betray any revolutionary struggle. That they would never grasp a class consciousness. That they would never be useful in a revolutionary struggle or a class struggle. Um, if that being the class and the class struggle being his revolutionary, and Lenin and Trotsky felt the same way about the lump of proletarian, that they would never achieve anything, that this would, um, that this lump of proletarian um, wouldn't make, wouldn't be beneficial, or wouldn't be useful. Because of because of their lack of, but herein lies the problem for me. For when I talk to African people or people melanated people who subscribe to or adhere to a communist philosophy and a communist ideology, is that very fact that you're looking at these people who have taken European or white material and historical dialectics, meaning the European aspects of history and the things that affected them, to go into this political social understanding. And not taking in consideration us as African people, when we embrace that and hold on to that, we're not taking in consideration the things that affected us directly as a melanated people, as African people here in America, and especially black people here in America. The things that we have faced, the trials and tribulations, those things that make us who we are today. This is my problem with our wholeheartedly embracing communism, I call our Marxist, Leninist understanding of communism. And socialism, it doesn't take the dynamics of the American, the black people in America and experience into consideration in the development of that whole concept or knowing the implementations of anything that would free us. You see, what we have to understand from that standpoint is that not only are we facing a class struggle, not only are we facing a class struggle, but we're facing a race struggle. So why the lump in proletarian? Because when we understand that um, there was a great book that I had read, it was called um, Class, State, and Crime. 
class Satan crime. And one of the things that he said, he said that the frustrations and angers associated with the unemployment uh, compounded by, like, welfare and things of that nature and the lack of the fundamentals, food, clothing, shelter, which it should be self-evident that these type of, that this environment as such, that this environment of absolute deprivation may be the breeding ground for discontent and violence and crime. When you're looking at America, when you're looking at America and you're looking at and talking about the lumpen proletarian and why that the, uh, we can see the wisdom in France for known and how the defense minister, Huey P. Newton, picked up that philosophy and ran with it because the majority of the lumpen proletarian in America are of African descent. They're black. Based on not due to our lack of skills, our inability to work, but because America is racially constituted, because we have been discriminated against. So the lumpen proletarian in America or the proletarian, the lumpen proletarian class in America is not a voluntary class. It is a class that has been forced on the masses of people and particularly, specifically, people of African descent. This is one of the problems. That we're facing. So Huey understood this. Huey, reading the uh, Afro-Caribbean philosopher Franz Fanon, understood. He began to identify with this. How Franz Fanon saw the lump and proletarian and the effectiveness of it in the Algerian struggle. He began to relate and see the similarities in our struggle with African people here in America. And we can begin to see why, after this, how that. Huey's understanding and the third development understanding that they weren't Marxist Leninist in the beginning, but that they were Maoists. Because Mao, being a communist, understood this is the importance. There again, brothers and sisters, this is why I talk about us being not just reactionary, not just being a people flying off the handle because some atrocity has afflicted us or affected us, and then we go with our placards and our cards and we're protesting and like I've said before, all of that is necessary. But what is the end goal? What is the real end goal of that? We're talking about when we're talking about real revolutionary struggle. You see? So the end goal when we understood that Mao what he did what he did was take the um cultural though him being communist, understanding the cultural, social cultural um social cultural phenomena and experiences that his people had been under under colonization. Mao said the Mao uh, things that Mao said Mao said that he understood that the colonial and semi colonial status forced vast numbers of people in urban and rural areas into illegitimate occupations and activities. He understood that colonialism, when China had been colonized and the masses of people have been oppressed, and the colonizers begin to do like what they did in Rwanda and what they do everywhere is favor people and begin to um, section off and segment society based on whatever reason that they set up, that they he created, that they began to create and empower this lumpen proletarian set. And he said, yes. Uh, Mao said, yes. They are susceptible. Like Francis Lawrence said, said, yes. They are susceptible to bribery. They are susceptible to not really um, to reactionary and counter-revolutionary measures and means. But like Mao said, under the right leadership, 
these lump and proteins can be very, very useful in a revolutionary movement. They can be very useful. Franz Fanon said in The Wretched of the Earth, and which is one of my favorite books, Franz Fanon in The Wretched of the Earth said the lumping as the lumping is the peasantry of colonial societies in a third world, not involved in industrial production, who are unaware of the dominant colonial ideology and are therefore ready, capable, and willing to revolt against colonial status quo for liberation. This was the words of Franz Fanon. He said that these are people that have been secluded and blackballed and not allowed to participate in industrial production, participate in work. You know, they have been intentionally stopped from not just the means of production from society, but the means of producing for their families. See, this is the aspect. People think a lot of criminals are criminal. I tell us that African people, melanated people, black people are not predisposed, predis, uh, predisposed, or not predisposed, pre, predisposition to crime. It's not in our nature, our very nature, to come out and run out and be criminals. You see, but that due to circumstances and situations, it starts to force people, like Mao said, into illegal activities and occupations. But these are the same people that if giving a way out, if provided with the means to produce for their family, they're not going to risk incarceration or loss of life if they're provided with that way. But the problem with us, though, and we see that we've tried it with the civil rights movement, is that you can't beg a people who intentionally oppress you, who look at you as inferior, who don't want to see your evolution and your empowerment to give you the tools and the instruments to empower you. And what they do is, like Franz Fanon said, that the lumping is unaware of the colonial ideology. So what has happened is, though we're not allowed to participate in this system, or in this colonial system, we're not allowed to participate and to find our way and to get the means and the wherewithal to provide for our families and for our people, we still think like the colonists, or we still think like our oppressor. We have a neo-colonialist mind state. We still believe in a dream that was not intended for you and I. We still bite into that. So in our biting into that, and and having this neo-colonialist mind state, we begin to judge our people according to our oppressor. So we start to look at the lumping as being what they said, an undesirable. Someone that is counterproductive and counter-revolutionary. And even though we don't know those, the masses of the people may not know those words, they say this is a Negro, that there's no good in this Negro. There's no good composite. They don't want anything out of life. Thinking from this neo-colonialist mindset, but not understanding that if given the option that he would be a productive or she would be a productive member of society and or if the revolutionary, the freedom fighter, the liberator, I like that word, liberator, if the liberators would begin to train and teach the lumpen right, then the lumpen would begin to see an outlet for themselves and it makes them a very strong component of the revolution. It makes them a force to be reckoned with. You see, this is what we have to be um, constantly conscious of. 
This is what we have to be conscious. So this is why Huey went after these people. What did Huey call Huey called them the street brothers alienated from society. This is why he went after the street brothers. Now, in some of the criticisms and critiques of the third development, whom we call the original Black Panther Party, they say that this also led to a lot of what was the crime and the violence in the party, was that he did have the lumping, the undisciplinedness. You know, those are critiques. That's, that, that's one aspect, but me as being a person who likes to do the research and study, that we understand that it is not without the influence of the state agent provocateurs, antagonists, and other things that led to the demise or the look or the appearance of an undisciplined um, revolutionary organization or organization for social change for the oppressed and the downtrodden people, and particularly and specifically people of melanated, melanated people or black people here in America. So it, it, it didn't go... Believe me, you, it wasn't that we couldn't organize our dear brother, Defense Minister Huey, and Chairman Seals and the rest of our comrades couldn't organize, but there were outside influences. But we understand that the, excuse me, I think what frightened the state the most was that who they were organizing. They were organizing the lump and they were organizing this downtrodden, whom they called the undesirable. And when you get a people who don't have anything to lose, then they have everything to gain. That begins to frighten the state. When you get a people who have nothing to lose but everything to gain, and they become politicized, they become educated, they become not just and, – and in that politicization, that revolutionary politicizing, yearning, when that yearning for change in society is feared, when that desire for better for yourself and your community and your family, you begin – when solutions are given, then you begin to see the masses of people – start to carry out activities that bring about that change and that frightens the status quo. That frightens the status quo. So we see the propaganda launched again, the tough on crime, the law and order speeches against the so-called lumping. In fact, we find out one of the things that I think was tickled when in, in Hillary's uh, 2016 run, you know, when she was running for presidency, how she referred to the lumping proletarian, in other words, when she called them the baskets of, of, of what did she call them? the baskets of uh, deplorables. That's what she called them, the baskets of deplorables. The lumping. The lumping. But we're living in, when you live in a society such as ours, you begin to understand that America is in danger of creating a permanent lumping class. There was a philosopher named Herbert Marcuse who said, one of his quotes was, having been brought up in a consumer society, we have lost all class consciousness. There is no, in America, class consciousness no more. It is a materialistic society. It's about material possession. There is no class consciousness no more. So the lumping, so the uh, system of poverty and uh, lack and want, has been created in this society, creating a permanent lumping proletarian class and the revolutionary, if smart, the true revolutionary will begin to go out here and educate their people on that. And this is the and this is the whole thing. And this is what the revolutionary, in my opinion, if we say we're following in the footsteps of the third development, if we're following in the footsteps of the original Panther, let us at least know who we're targeting, why we're targeting and how we should go about 
educating and informing um, the the people. Let's go to the phone lines. This is your brother, National Chairman Yang and Kruma Peoples, Black Panther Party, Independent Black Talk Radio. This is your station, our station, where we can share our thoughts and ideas. We're going to go to our phone lines, 619-0614. Your mic is open. Yeah, how you doing, Chairman Yanga? Chairman, how you doing, brother? Yeah, as far as late, I was uh, had a run to make, and uh, um, and I had to talk to my chief, and uh, I'm just getting back in the house, so uh, my apologies and all power to the people. All power to the people, and no problem. In fact, I thank you for our conversation earlier this morning. Brothers and sisters, on the line I have with me, our brother, Chairman Trinell, San Diego Black Panther Party, Oh, man, brother here, I love speaking with the brother. That's who inspired this show. Within 20 minutes of conversation, the brother brought a show out of it. So I'm glad that you were able to come on and and discuss, brother. But listen, your mic is open. Share with us some things having come from that era. Well, you know, like you said earlier, Chairman, and um, uh, before I start, uh, something's been on my mind. It's something that your minister of uh, – uh, Justice has said um, at the last talk show I was on, and um, about the summit. And I just want to let you know that uh, you know we need to work together on that uh, coming up. Hopefully, we can get that running uh, around April. So I just want to throw that out there first, uh, because that goes in concert with um, the discussion about uh, why there's so much confusion. Uh, uh, not all over the world, because some countries understand the term, and they've been struggling with the term, especially a lot of the undeveloped countries. They realize that one of their greatest liabilities is the fact that they don't control their resources. You know, and being that they don't control their resources, you know, they're forced to go whichever way they can go in order to provide for their families uh, and, and try to survive within their countries. But we're not in an undeveloped country. We're in an, an industrialized country uh, uh, in the Western world. Being that is the case, you know, they've come along with all these different theories and whatnot about the economic theories and uh, the material theories and uh, the democratic theories and uh, the uh, imperialistic theories and uh, the foreign affairs theories and uh, the military complex theories and uh, – the economic theories, and uh, so they, they, they subjugate us with all these different theories, and they throw us off track. What makes it even so worse than that, that as children, you know, we're forced to watch the attitudes and behaviors and activities of our parents that are subjected to all these theories. And then not only that, then we go to school uh, as children, and then we're doubly subjected to all these theories, you know, what we've been dealing with as, as in the struggle as oppressed people is not a theory. It's a fact. So we don't need to be sitting around discussing theories. We need to be discussing facts. And, and to prove the point is that's why the educational system in the Western world is trying to revamp itself. That's why the cultural activities and the cultural revolution of the Western world is trying to revamp itself. And that's yeah. why so many other races that are non-black races that are not black are always trying to imitate the African-American and the Asian races because they realize that all these theories that they've been given for all these hundreds of years is no longer a 
effective. As a matter of fact, it's destructive. They're trying to make it seem like we need to fight for civil rights. It's not civil rights that's the problem. The problem is human rights. Once you receive human rights, then everything else falls in place. You can't have civil rights without human rights. You know, I don't mean to get on no long-running spiel right quick, but uh, before I jump into lump of proletariat, I just want to lay that foundation there. I was fortunate enough to hear um, a few of your comments uh, when I got home about the lump of proletariat. It's unfortunate that um, we have not studied uh, the required materials and manifestos that Panthers are required to read. And it's quite a few books, by the way, at least 50 of them. And uh, one of the books that uh, was really um, a requirement for the original Black Panther Party was the quotations of Chairman Mao Zedong. And the reason that book was so important is because the Chinese and their cultural revolution and in their great march related more to us as descendants of slaves. I'll use that term, even though we were free, then put in slaves. But it was more relevant to our struggle as a struggle with the Chinese, that they were trying to change the whole system from the very cultural foundation all the way up to the economic and political foundation. In order to understand that, you have to understand the struggles of the lump of proletariat. The definition of a lump of proletariat is the lower class citizens. We were not citizens. So, say the lower class inhabitants of any country. So, back to what you were saying, Chairman, is that it's so critically important in 2018 that we get back to the basics of the facts and not the and not the conversation of the theories, because the salvation of this country rests with the black man. Believe it or not, you know, I could care less who believe me, who don't believe me. But, you know, we got to do what we got to do. We, we got a tough job because we have to re-educate our people. Mm-hmm. You there, Chairman? Yeah, I'm here, Chairman. Okay. So you said we have to re-educate our people. You know, that's one of the reasons, uh, Chairman, that um, when Bobby and and um, and um, and Huey and also David too, matter of fact, that's how come they had to evolve from a lot of the different philosophical struggles that were going on at the time, because as it first started off, you know. Sophie Carmichael was running around um, with um, uh, um, Martin Luther King. Yeah, Martin Luther King. And he split, and they were at a march one day, and they were asked by the national media the difference in philosophy. And uh, Sophie said, you know what? You know, my brother brother, uh, Martin is, is... protesting and for uh, civil rights. He said, I love the brother to death, and I'm, I'm walking here with him, but we're protesting human rights. And there's a big difference between the two, because originally the march and the protest was not about civil rights. It was about economic rights. You know, it was about the garbage men not getting paid the way they should be paid, the sanitation workers. 
So it was all about human rights on an economic level other than the civil rights. So there was a disconnect there. So what the original Black Panther Party had to do was look at all this information and and try to change this information to where it really affected uh, uh, our people. And that's why it became uh, – uh, that's why I became uh, um, the peoples, uh, that we represented the people. You know, we don't represent anything else. We represent the people because the people is the backbone of the family. The people is the backbone of society. The people is the backbone of all pro- productivity. And the people is the backbone of the government. So mm-hmm. those are the lump of proletariat. That's right. That's right. That's right. I think that that's one of the brilliance I have to give to Defense Minister Huey as a, you know, I don't think that, and this is one of the things that sad me, Chairman, uh, in this day and time, and having been fortunate enough and blessed enough to, to grow up around um, original Panthers, the third development Panthers, and people, and not just Panthers, people in that time period that understood the importance of, of study, is that, um, you know, Huey, I think, is so underrated by even um, so-called Panther formations in this day and time as a political philosophy. You know, they look at, they see the guns, they see the, the berets and the things of that nature, and they and I, I think that they get into this romanticism of the revolution, but really underrate him as a, I really don't give him the props that he deserves as a political philosopher and one who came up, analyzed, and like you said, not just had a theory, but put into practice a real revolutionary formula for oppressed people um, starting here with African people, people of African descent here in America, and taking and I tell people, and this is why I'm not a Marxist Leninist or, you know, and I'm, you know, I read Trotsky, I read some Lenin and some things of this nature, but what I love about our soldiers over here, our revolution over here, is how they took our historical and material dialectics and began to develop a concept that was applicable for us. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's where in this generation, in this time, that we're failing. And even fell into lumpen proletarian, I don't think that we truly understand the what the lumpen proletarian is, nor the power that the lumpen proletarian holds over here. You know, and how um, we, us as this lumpen class of, of African people over here, differ from what Karl Marx and, and Frederick Engels said the lumpen was, or even Lenin and Trotsky said that the, that the lumpen was, and how... Um, that they were were easily swayed by the forces, or that they would that nature was counter revolutionary, counterproductive. So you're exactly you know, right. You're right because their whole theory, um, the Russians' theory, was dialectic materialism, and uh, that's all great and fine when you're dealing with the type of rulers that they had over there at the time, right? Because it was all the riches came into the coffer. And, and the riches that came into the coffer was for the ruling class, the ruling class to dispense the way they wanted to dispense. And that's a lot different than the way it was in China. China was an entirely different system. So what Mao did is he took the basic struggle tactics from uh, Marx and Lenin and to his people, which developed into, into, into the Maoist, the Maoist uh, 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 philosophy. Uh, but you're, you're absolutely correct on that. Is that this material thing has gotten way out of hand, 
and you know, and I don't want people listening to think that I'm saying that we don't need material things to live. We do need material things to live. But if you remember, and if you think back, because most black people are are uh, spiritual and they believe in the gospel, that you remember uh, that Jesus Christ has fought against this forever, the materialistic mentality back in the Middle East uh, when he was uh, uh, running around there doing his thing. And and that's our biggest problem today. That's why we got gangs and, and all these other things. And the gangs is because they don't understand that they're caught up in this materialistic theory that they feel they got to have all this stuff in order to be impotent, in order to be powerful, in order to have some sort of effect on what they want to do in their lives. So this is the method that they take. But they are not. But they are lumping proletarians that have been brainwashed by the system. Because you know the people that are in power. I ain't talking about the Trumps. You know, you know later for him. You know he's a puppet. And um, there are people running him. There are people controlling him. But you know what, Chairman? Uh, I'm optimistic. People like you and the people that um, are um, are with you. I'm optimistic. I don't want no one to think that I'm a pessimist or that I'm cynical. You know, I'm, I'm none of that. I'm not optimistic. Mm. But what makes me optimistic is the truth. The truth makes me optimistic. When I look around the world and I see how people are fighting and I see how China's developing its own international uh, um, uh, trade system and I see how they're running in Africa, building the system, of course they're going to want something from it. They're not going to rape and pillage the country like the Western world did. So I'm optimistic because they got big bucks. So I'm optimistic about a lot of things. But back here at home, you know, I have to be optimistic that somebody's going to listen to what we're saying and say, you know what, with all the rap songs and all the movies and all the giddy up and all the bowdy bowdies, you know, we ain't did Nathan. We haven't done Nathan. Maybe a dozen of us got big bucks. You know, you know, they, you know, big bucks, uh, whoever that guy named, but, um, that's about it. But now they got big bucks. Now they running from these people that control them. Now they scared. So I'm optimistic that the message will get there and that the people will finally understand, well, you know what? Something's wrong with this system. You know, how come I got this big house and I'm still suffering? How come I'm making all this money and they still call me a nigga? You know, mm-hmm. sooner or later, they're going to wake up and say, you know what? We need to listen to Chairman Yanga, you know, because we're missing something here. We need to say forget about these theories. We need to deal with the facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like what you're saying. Absolutely. And that's I like the key point that you hit on, that materialism. And I and I can remember when that really came into play, when you're talking about the eighties with the crack epidemic and this and that. And it goes it reminds me of something that our brother Franz Fanon had said and when he was talking about the lump and he said one of the things he said was the characteristics of the wealthy proletarian was that they didn't know they were unaware of the colonial ideology. And a lot of us suffer from a neo-colonialist mind state. We think we have taken the morals and the ethics and the standards of our oppressor. We think the more material possessions equate are synonymous with success, you know, instead of defying. And it goes back to what Mao was saying, that he took the basic concept of the communist struggle, but understood the social cultural dynamics of his people. And, exactly. I, you know, I see a lot of the parties, and I think that we're missing that. We're not, in all our theorizing, and all our sitting around and strategizing and armchair revolutionizing, 
that we don't take into consideration the social cultural dynamics of our people and that they have created a lump of proletarian class and that if we when we begin to shed the neocolonialist mindset, when we begin to give back those morals and ethics of materialism, a material possession equates success, then we begin I think that we begin to start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm like you, I'm very optimistic that our people will see this. We're seeing it with the um the unjustified murdering of unarmed civilians. We're starting to see the state repression. I think that is becoming clear. I'm like you, Trump is a puppet. But one of the things that I do think Trump coming into office for is that he pulled the, you know, the clan where sheets, he pulled the sheets off of some of it. And it's, become, uh, it's become clear their agenda for those of us that are in the know. So we have to give back that and begin to create programs. One of the things I love about the uh, third development or the original Black Panther Party was the fact that they developed, not only did they theorize, but they developed programs to show that we could be self-sufficient and that we could be independent and independent people relying on ourselves and that oppressed people could shake off the yoke of oppression. We, ha- we have to be able to have a discussion um, at the very basic level uh, with our people in the community. And uh, that's number one. And we can't talk over their heads. We got to talk to our people through the heart, the body, the mind, and the soul. We got to talk to one another. There's too much of this crap where, you know, I'm better than this person, I'm better than that person. Give me a break. You ain't better than nobody. You know, right that's on. one thing. We need to get back to the basics. Because back back in the 60s, man, everybody wanted to throw up their head and say, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. All of a sudden, you know, and nobody want to say it no more, you know, because the government is so slick. I mean, they've been at this game for a long time. They have refined it down to the very minute. They got this game down pat. This term, 24-7, it came from them because they never sleep. They're always working. When we sleep, they working. They don't never sleep. They're always coming up with a way to stay ahead. So if you think you're on top of them, if you think you're smarter than them, then you got another thing coming unless you are awake 24-7, unless you control the institution, the financial institution, the health institution, the medical institution, the means of production, the means of propaganda, the media. If you don't control those things, then you don't control nothing. You know. Mm-hmm. So what makes you think that you're on top of them that you ahead of him. No, you ain't. You're right there in the struggle, arm to arm, chest to chest, with the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, listen, my question is then, what what inspired or made the Panthers, the original Panthers, think that with, with all the writings and the sayings of Lenin and, and Engels and um, Marx and everything, that the lumping could be the backbone of the revolution could be the force of a revolutionary movement. What made them deviate from um, the thinking that, you know what, they're counterproductive, counterrevolutionary, they're reactionaries, and if people with money come to them, so to speak, to break it down in layman's terms, it's something they can be bought off. What made them well, say, you know what, I see, a, I see a force within that whole class? There was a couple of things that, that did that. Um, that made the transformation in our thinking. Um, one of the transformation was uh, some of the uh, 
the brothers that came before us, and I'm not talking about in the 60s. I'm talking about in the 40s and in the 50s, you know. Uh, and they were great writers. They were great writers, and they were great musicians. And they used to sing about it and write about it. People like um, Claude Brown, you know, uh, uh, Man Child in the Promised Land. Um, uh, and I can just go on and on. I'm not going to just run off a bunch of names. But back in the Harlem Renaissance, you know, and we began to see then that uh, we were just treading water. We wasn't getting anywhere. And then came along in the 50s, and then you had people like uh, Adam Clayton Powell, you know, um, people like Langston Hughes, you know. And and then it began to uh, uh, refine the thinking. And you mentioned earlier uh, uh, Frantz Fanon, you know, and, and a few others. So we began to study more. You know, we began to read more about the struggles and how it related to our own hideous, terrible conditions that we were living in. So we start to transform little by little, little by little, until we start developing, we can't go that way, let us go this way. Okay, we can't go this way, let us go that way. So we start developing little by little. Then we have poets come along, you know, then we had more singers come along. Now we're in the 60s, you know. So now we get to the time where Huey and, uh, and Bobby uh, start to evolve. Being that they were intellectuals gave them uh, – kind of uh, an inside job uh, to uh, the philosophy of the struggle of, of black people because uh, they were educated, they were well-read, and they studied the struggles, not just the struggles uh, here in the United States, which was more important, most important, but also the struggles all over the world, including Pan-Africanism, you know. And so when they studied all these different countries and all these different economies, and all these different governments, they had to decide which one was more um, decadent, which was more uh, relevant to what we're going through here in the United States. And uh, and they begin to take the best of both worlds, and they begin to develop um, their philosophy of, um, uh, of, of the People's Party. Uh, and they developed it through the 10-point platform and program. That's the reason it's written the way it's written, because it directs your thoughts not into uh, uh, just a, a, um, a vacillation, which means you're just moving from one thought to another thought. It kind of like narrowed you down to the basic fundamentals of the black man's struggle in the United States, which was uh, enough of this brutality, enough of people thinking they can come in there and rape our women, charge us exorbitant rent, you know, uh, the first uh, uh, to be fired, uh, uh, the denigration of, uh, of our humanity, uh, no respect for our human life. So the 10-point platform of program was begin to devise and was devised around those ideas. Those ideas were taken from all those brothers and sisters uh, that came before us way back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. And then they developed, well, this is what we need. This is how we need to approach it. But one more thing that was more important, we have to apologize for a lot of the wrong we did back in the 60s. We were a young party uh, growing up in this, in, uh, this struggle. We made a lot of mistakes. 
Having said that, we were also required to do a lot of reading. And black people don't back then didn't like to read too much. It was too much about getting off in the street and having to get the gap, you know. So reading was a requirement because if we didn't understand what was going on, we couldn't go out there and teach the people. So we had to study. We had to be intellectuals. We had to understand political education. So now when we go teach to the people, we can tell the people the things that they see but don't understand or that they that they understand but they don't know where to go next. So that's basically how we started to evolve, and uh, and, and that's when Jagger Hoover came out and said, whoa, hold it. This is worse than we thought it was because now they're in the community educating their people. They become the greatest threat to the American government that there is. And that's one of the main reasons. It wasn't a militaristic part of us that they feared, you know. We were no military threat to the government, but we, we were an intellectual threat, an educational threat to the government. And that's why they came and attacked us where they attacked us. Mm. And that's and that's true. You're listening to um People's Black Panther Party. I'm your host, National Chairman Yang and Krumah. We have Brother Chairman Trinell on San Diego Black Panther Party discussing backbone of the revolution is the lumpen proletarian. Um and man, just getting some insight. Listen, if you want to chime in, comment, uh get into discussion, press one. We'll recognize you, open your mics, we'll love to hear from you and um allow you to share your ideas. But one of the things, too, um, Chairman Trinnell, man, that I love to talk about is the difference from then and now. You know, one of the, the people that I do target in carrying on that tradition of the original Black Panther parties is the so-called lumpen proletarian or the lumpen. I'd just like to shorten it up. Um, I go to the street tribes, known also as gangs and the drug dealers and the pimps and the people out there that are, that are disenfranchised and separated from society for whatever reason. And a lot of times it's due to, you know, um, because we understand that this country was founded on racism, exploitation, and oppression um, going to them. But what are some of the differences you see then and now? And is there hope? Is that still a realistic class to approach? Is it still viable in this day and time? It is still viable. And um, a lot of the brothers and sisters and even other uh, races that, that are watching us, because there's a lot of races watching us, because um, there's a lot of other races that really love us. They love us because of our spirituality, and they love us because of our survivability. Uh, everything that they've been able to throw at at us, we've been able to survive it all. So they love the fact that, that um, uh, uh, we're doing something right. You know, we stood up against the best that they can throw at us, and we're still here. Um, going back to your question, there are numerous uh, uh, brothers and sisters that come out of the neighborhood uh, that were uh, um, uh, doing all kind of things, uh, uh, even after uh, my generation, because uh, the crack thing and, uh, and the gang thing really didn't spike up really on the West Coast until um, um, later on in, in, in the Panthers' deployment, you know. So we're talking about late 60s, early 70s, you know. What we do see today is we see those that, that uh, begin to make money off drugs and rapping and singing and other things uh, being accepted into the mainstream of society. And uh, when they get a chance, they always tell the story, yeah, 
I was a gang banger in East LA or in, in LA or in the West Side or whatever, and I used to sell drugs or whatever, or I was a pimp or whatever, and they, they say they changed their ways. Well, one of the things that helped them change their ways was they were receiving uh, 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 material. They were receiving money, and the money made them happy, and the money made them glad. So they didn't see there was no reason for them to continue uh, in, in a vulnerable lifestyle when they can do this from a legitimate lifestyle called entertainment and uh, not, have, not have to worry about getting killed and not having to worry about somebody killing them or them having to kill somebody else or not having to worry about them trying to continue to promote the gang activity and the drug activity. You know, so that's one of the reasons that uh, when you look at a lump of proletariat, uh, but what they did is they snatched onto dialectic materialism and they made a lot of money. But now they see that uh, something's missing in their soul, something's missing in their heart. Uh, and they realize now that uh, what profit a man that gaineth the whole world but loses his soul. So they're beginning to see that they're, they're just half a man. I'm not going to mention no names, but, you know, it ain't necessary. All you got to do is look around. And they're realizing that something's missing. So a change is coming. They're changing, uh, and, and, and they'll start speaking out more and more and more and more as much as they can without losing their revenue. And, uh, and uh, a lot of the young brothers and sisters, a lot of the young uh, proletariats, as you say, will begin to see that, hey, I can still stand up for my human rights and still uh, be all that I can be. And so a change will take place. It's taking place now. But one of the problems, Chairman, is that they don't know enough about their history. You know, they know a lot yeah. about the current situation and current affairs, and they react accordingly, but they don't know enough about their history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't some, you know, Chairman, wouldn't some say that that would become dangerously close to becoming a uh, cultural nationalist? How do, what's the, what's the, you know, what's the defining point? of culture from leaving a revolutionary understanding, a revolutionary internationalist into um, venturing into the, ter- uh, the territory of cultural nationalism. Well, that's a good point. One of the things is that uh, your vision of the future, you know, and your vision of the f- future cannot be nationalistic, you know, uh, because we're a global society now. Uh, maybe 40 years ago, we might be able to, uh, to sing that song, but we can't sing that song today because we don't own the means of production, and that's one of the requirements of being being a nationalist uh, struggle. It means that you have to retake your national uh, resources. So that's never going to happen, you know. So what we have to do, you know, as as revolutionaries, is we have to allow and help our people evolve to the to the next development stage, right? And that next development stage involves the sciences and things of that nature. You know, we need to teach them about the math and the sciences and stuff like that so they can develop their own, their own self and figure out all the different ways and means and techniques they can make their life and the life of their brothers and sisters in the community better. Because if you don't have some disciplines, you know, some basic uh, future disciplines that's going to carry the community and yourself and the families into the future, then you will be left behind. 
you know, so that's one of the things that I think that that we need to do as we try to re-educate our people is is to remind them how important education is and how important it is that they understand the three principles of what you do with education, which is social, economic, and political reform, which means we have to teach them how to become social, socially responsible. We have to teach them, teach them about how to become uh, uh, economically uh, savvy, and we got to teach them how to control their their political areas, you know. So those are the areas in which the, the younger generation has to concentrate on, and that concentration has to be based upon education. Absolutely, I agree with that. You know, I think one of what one of the other dangers that we face as revolutionaries, and especially being African revolutionaries or revolutionaries of African descent, is how do we participate in an international revolutionary struggle? without um, losing our particular struggle. You know, I see a lot of times I have a lot of friends. I deal with a lot of people, um, and I have a lot of comrades that belong to the Communist Party or belong to the Socialist Party, and I'll see them championing a lot of the Palestinian cause, which I, you know, I'm totally for, uh, you know, give the people their land, man. Stop it. Stop it, Israel. Stop it. Um, But we'll see them championing a lot of causes, and then when it comes to the cause of African people, and specifically African people in America, you kind of see them shy away from it for fear of falling into a uh, black nationalist understanding or falling under a black nationalist label. How do we reconcile the differences between the two? How do we say, okay, you know what, I am an internationalist. I'm a revolutionary internationalist. But at the same time, there are issues that affect us as African people in America, particularly you know, specific issues that affect us directly that should be addressed on the world stage? Well, Chairman, you know, I appreciate the question. Uh, It's a very delicate question um, um, because their uh, their heart is in it, but their soul ain't in it, you know. And and, and those are two different things there, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, We, our soul is in this. You know, and um, it makes a difference in how we address our day-to-day situations because all of us is in it. When we sing songs, we don't just sing songs from the heart, you know, which is the difference between us and other races. We sing songs from the soul. So when you hear it, it, it goes right into you and it, and it, and, and it changes you. Now, one of the biggest problems is that uh, they want to uh, try to get what you're saying, but there's a wall there, you know, and I don't know if it's, well, I do know, I don't really want to say it over the radio, but, you know, they have some deficiencies that won't allow them, not all of them, some of them will, will 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 die for you, but there's a great majority of them that can't seem to cover that divide, and that divide is the difference between heart and soul. Um, I don't really know, you know, and I've been working on this forever, uh, Chairman, and mm-hmm. I'm still working on it. You know, I'm still trying to reach people that has been unreachable even though I know their heart's in the right place, you know, uh, and it's been very difficult because um, 
of their uh, idiosyncrasies, you know, uh, the behaviorisms that they have that have been handed down to them over generations and generations and generations and generations, you know. So now they're here in the modern time trying to change their cultural attitude and the things that they've been taught that's been ingrained in them for all these generations, you know, ever since they've been here and even before they came over to America. So, you know, we're dealing with a really tough situation in trying to win the minds of people that without a doubt would be a force in, uh, in standing side by side with us. But I would say that this is what the struggle is, you know, is that we continue down this path, you know, continue uh, discussions with them. Um, the Marx and Leninist theory will not work here in a democratic capitalist country. Uh, so that's not going to work uh, mm-hmm. because this system is based upon the foundation of capitalism. So we have to work within what we got. We got to work with, you know. And uh, and, and it's just not going to happen, you know. I I understand what you're saying, and uh, and I get it. But we don't come from that era that they come from, where you had yeah. all these clans fighting against these clans, where you had uh, when World War World War One started, it was a family issue. You know, a lot of people don't understand that. It was a family dispute that brought the whole world into it. But, you know, people need to do their own studying. But as far as how do we reach these compadres, how do we reach these other comrades that uh, we know in their heart, you know, but you touch certain fibers and they get the shivers, you know, because this yeah. is new to them. You know, this is this is new to them. They they weren't they weren't taught they were not taught that we're their equals. They wasn't taught that. You know, they were taught the opposite. You know. Uh there was a lot of things that they were not taught from um a humanistic point of view, but there's things that they learned from an intellectual point of view, you know. But sometimes intellect won't save your ass. You know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes uh, uh, the the instinct of survival is what Mm -hmm. saves you. I don't care how smart you are, you know. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know the answer to that. I just think it's continued dialogue, you know, because we're working around their institutions. So since these are their institutions, you know, we got to work within the rules of those institutions. They are born of those institutions, and we got we got to try to work around those institutions. Those institutions. I agree. I agree. I think you know my my whole perception of it. A lot of times is, is speaking to my partners, and I know I got some of my partners on the line listening that belong to these various parties. And no offense to you, brothers and sisters on the line listening. I see you here. Uh, that belong to these various parties, but I think that it's because it provides some type of utopia. Uh, uh, Understanding or some type of utopia philosophy. It sounds very nice. Class struggle, the end of classism, and this egalitarian understanding amongst all human beings. Not, but not taking in consideration, like you said, the whole experience of the African in America and the founding of America, which is based on um, racial disparities, prejudices, exploitation, oppression, 
and just outright bigotry and discrimination. And that if we don't take, and a lot of times our um, white compatriots, though they're well-meaning, though they're well-meaning, I don't think sometimes they really understand the um, the thing of white privilege and white entitlement. I think that that's overlooked in their in their you know in their struggles in their liberation struggle, and especially when indoctrinating us in their liberation struggle. So, like I tell them that we can. I think that being us being anti-oppression, we should you know bring awareness to oppression internationally, globally, but with never forgetting the specifics that affect us directly. I like what you had said earlier that the um, black people, or especially especially to me here in America, which I've read before, will be the vanguard of revolution. All eyes are on us. All eyes are on us. But we have to take off this neocolonialist thinking, this oppressor thinking that we have in the way that we look at ourselves and our environment and our place in this society and the means that we're going to use to win our liberation. I think a lot of it is full of romanticism. A lot of it is full of of fantasy and wishful thinking and no real practical theories nor applications. And that's, you know, that's my take on it. And I look, I have one brother drop on me already. So, I mean, you know, it's no slight against them, but I think that like what you said, Brother Chairman, that is just the whole communist understanding, especially the Marxist-Lenin understanding, would not be effective for us and for African people here in America, or for any people Chairman, specifically for us. Yes. Chairman, we love them to death. You know, let that yeah. be said. You know, we love these comrades, so they should not be offended because we go to war with them just like we expect them to go to war with us. You know, it, you know that's a problem. Don't get the tripping. You know, don't think because, you know, we speak truth to power that we, we don't get our personal relationship with you. We we get it, you know. So don't don't, don't be so sensitive. You know, I can remember in 68 and 69 when um, we used to, uh, it was a requirement in San Francisco, we would leave Emeryville, the headquarters, and go to San Francisco uh, around 8 Asbury every Tuesday, Tuesday or Monday, I can't remember. And we just have to teach political education to the neighborhood, right? That's one of the requirements. Well, today things are a little different. You know, uh, here in San Diego, our central committee, we've got a basic rule that we're real selective when we teach political education because it takes time, you know, and you got to lay the foundation and lay the basics, and it takes a while to move from the move to the point you're trying to make. Somebody said, well, get to the point, get to the point. Well, it's not that simple. You know, let me paint the picture first, you know, and uh, if you're patient, we'll get to the point, and we'll show you that, you know, this is the point we're trying to make. This is what it means, you know. So, you know, I would I would suggest that, um, you know, they stay in tune because can't nobody do it the way we do it. We've already proven that. You know, can't nobody go through what we've been through and still stay standing after the smoke is cleared. So, look, comrades, we're doing something right. You need to pay attention to it. You know, and it ain't all about the heart. It's about the soul. It's about what you are really made of 724, not just for eight hours a day, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're listening to the People's Black Panther Party, Independent Black Talk Radio, Independent Talk Radio. I'm your host, National Chairman <laughs> Yang Nkrumah. Um, we're on here with our, with our Chairman, Chairman Trinnell, San Diego Black Panther Party, speaking on the backbone of the revolution is the lump and proletariat. You know, and what is the um, we defy the lump and proletariat? For those that are tuning in a little late, you know what? I'm gonna defer again to our chairman. For those tuning in a little bit late, just now coming online, chairman, if you could break down again what the definition of lump and proletariat, and go into a little bit of how it was effective in you know what we call the third development and what is affectionately called as the original Black Panther Party, and why specifically. They were targeted. And listen, for those listeners online, you know, first I want to thank everyone. I know it's the first night of Kwanzaa, Umoja, happy Umoja. Thank you for taking this time out and to listen and to get this political education. So if you want to chime in, if you want to comment, press one, we'll recognize you. We'll open your mic, and we'd love to hear from you. But um, let's let's go to Chairman, again, if you could, Chairman Chanel, again, explain to us a little bit about the lump and proletarian and why uh, Chairman Bobby Seals and Defense Minister Huey P. Newton and that whole development the original Black Panther Party that you were part of decided that this would be the target audience for revolutionary movement, revolutionary struggle. Well, to go to the front and then work my way to the back, uh, it was decided because uh, both uh, Huey and Bobby uh, realized that the change is going to come from uh, uh, the people. And we know that historically, we know that, by going back through generations and generations and civilizations and civilizations. It's always been the people that have been the backbone to effect change. Um, Even the great leaders needed the backing of the people in order to effect change and build other civilizations. They didn't do it by themselves. So when when, uh, 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 Comrade Huey and Comrade Bobby started off uh, in college, when they started studying all the different ways that they could affect change in the Oakland area, in the Bay Area area, they took time out to make sure they became students of history and students of the struggle of uh, of oppressed people, not just black people, but of oppressed people throughout the world. And they were they were good at stu- students. They studied real carefully. They went all the way back to the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and even to the, to the current 60s in which they were getting ready to put together uh, their 10-point platform and program. One of the things that had to be identified was exactly uh, who do we represent and who are they? You know, uh, who are the people we represent? What's their social status? What's their economic status? What's their political status? And, those, and does those status define who they are. Well, they do. So when everything started off back in the 40s and the 50s, a lot of the black activists back there were communists. If you do your history and do your studying, a lot of the black authors and writers and poets and musicians were communists or communist thinking because they believed in the power of the people, right? A lot of them had to go cross the water over to Europe in order to continue doing and believing the way they wanted to believe and they wanted to do. We had a huge excess during the Harlem Renaissance of uh, 
uh, losing a lot of our talented artists and uh, and whatnot because they could not stand the pressure to their creativity here in the United States. Back then, you would consider them either bohemians or proletariats because the money and esteem that they receive from being who they are separated them from being lumpy proletariats. The lumpy proletariats were the ones that didn't have Nathan. You know, and they didn't have anything. They couldn't pay rent. You know, they were homeless. They couldn't get jobs. They were starving to death. They were being taken advantage of by the system. Those are the lumpy proletariats, those that could not defend themselves and fight for themselves. So Huey and Bobby decided that they would call the organization the Black Panther Party of Self-Defense because we need to be there for our people that could not defend themselves against the system, specifically against police brutality. They had no power. They couldn't jump on a plane or a boat and leave the country. They were stuck, you know. <clears throat> so that's why they championed the lumper proletariat, and wisely so. Now, that's a long story made short. That's, and, and why slow? We had a, a question. A comrade didn't really want to speak online, so he inboxed me. And his question was, how do we how do we bring about unity amongst the various factions of the Panther parties in this day and time? So, I, you know, that's, that's a good question, and I definitely will let you um, speak on that. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm glad uh, the brother asked that question, uh, Chairman, because that's something that's been on my mind. Uh, for a long, long time. Um, as you know, when we reactivated, we reactivated uh, under the request of uh, uh, Brother Henry Wallace. Uh, his his mom and dad were original Panthers and used to feed 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 us, take us wherever we needed to go. His mom and dad. So he was really on the outside looking in uh, while he was young, but he was always there trying to do the things that he could do. But we had a difference of opinion, right? And that's what happens in a family. No big deal. Don't make more of it than what it is. You know, right. family disagree. So we had a disagreement, and um, we decided that we would continue with the original format. And he decided that he was concentrating on social empowerment and more power to him. I love him to death, and, uh, and there's a need for social empowerment. Now, it kind of goes to the question and how do we do all these different kinds of reconciliations and stuff? Well, one of the hardest things about reconciliation is to realize what our problems are and um, uh, who's the author of those problems. Um, uh, you, you have to be truthful. And, again, we go back to the soul, not the heart, because these are our people and there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to talk to our. So we need to have a dialogue. You know, everybody's not going to agree with this method or that method. Uh, everybody is going to want to keep their own individual organizational identity. You know, I understand that. You know, and I got no problem with that. What I do have a problem with is 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 what are your interests and what are your motives and what are your activities uh, because. The, plat the, the bylaws tells us how we handle things internally as far as our infrastructure is concerned. So we have to adhere to that. Our 10-point platform and program tells us how we administer to the people 
who we're sworn to protect and to educate. So that speaks for itself. Now, if another group or another organization has something different from the bylaws and a 10-point platform and program, then we need to convince them that our way is the best way because we're still here standing. It doesn't mean that they don't have good ideas. You know, we all got good ideas. Well, let's listen to your ideas. You know, let's talk about it. Let's work it out. You know, let's debate it. You know, let's look at the history. Let's do all the things that we should do as a race of a black mastermind. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty, you know, and let's talk about this stuff as everybody loves everybody else, and we all got the same, uh, the same purpose involved. But the dialogue has to happen. The reconciliation for those that are angry, you know, about this way and that direction and this direction, well, you know, let's talk. You know, and I think me and you, Chairman, we talked about earlier about the international summit that um, will be worked on. I think I mentioned it earlier on the show um, for April. And that will be a way also. You know, um, uh, we got a lot of work to do, but I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that we need to talk. You know, we need to quit thinking one is more important than the other. You know, that what I got to say is more important than what you got to say. You know, that's not how we deal with our people. You know, everybody's important. You know, that's why we don't take anything from our people, because we have to respect their rights. So, yeah, um, we need a dialogue. We need to deal with a certain amount of uh, uh, reconciliation. I Listen, I agree. Um, I agree. I agree with that. I think that that's one of the things is dialogue. I like something that you had said earlier when we talk about the 10-point platform and program of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, which a lot of us uh, in these formations now say that we have adopted or, or you know, adhere to. Um, and we'll say these policies and procedures and we'll say that we follow in the footsteps, but I think that is just that. I think that is just a lot of lip profession and really no commitment to to that structure. I think that that's the, one of the first problems, and I'm just being blunt. I think a lot of people wearing the cat, uh, professing to be Panther Formations, aren't that, aren't living in the legacy of that. I don't have a problem with what they're doing. I do have a problem with misidentifying and mislabeling. It's like putting water in a Coca-Cola bottle. They're telling me it's soda or it's pop, and it's just water. You know what I'm saying? So I think that when you put Panther on it and you come with this neo-nationalist, this neo-nationalist, black nationalist, or this, um, you know, um, kill white, or whatever, whatever these people are masquerading as and, and marketing as Panther ideology, I think that that's false advertising. I use the language that we all can you're read to. You're absolutely yeah. correct. And, and, and the root I'm of sorry, that, yeah. Chairman, is fear. Mm-hmm. Fear, yeah. we don't want to talk about fear too much. But um, I can remember when I was 17 and and uh, David Hillier would send me on missions and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm fresh out of training and everything else. And uh, and I was studious. You know, I studied what I should study. And I paid attention. But that fear was there, you know. Yeah. Now, when you mix fear with, with romanticizing, you know, you got a toxic mixture, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh yes, because you're running on adrenaline that's artificial, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's, it's hard to extract that 
from people, and it's hard to extract that from formations, you know, uh, because they feed off of it. You know, how many women can they get? You know, how much yeah. power can they get? How much notoriety can they get? You know, how much uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, 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 and uh, when you uh, romance that stuff, but then when it comes down to the fact that, you know, you by yourself and your life might be in danger, you know, uh, a lot of them tend to change their dudes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, right. right. It's so, all <laughs> right. You know, I'm not calling nobody out or nothing like that. Don't get me wrong, you know? Right. I mean, I've been. No, no, you listen, know, I've we speak the truth to power. We speak well, truth you know what, power. Chairman? You know yes, what, sir. Chairman? I've been dead about seven times already, you know. So mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Right on. But you know, it's by the grace of God. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've lost soldiers, and uh, and and I lost mentors, and uh, you know, I've lost people on missions, and uh, and uh, but I'm still here. You know, um, people that left me were people that taught me. You know. So, you know, you know, I'm just speaking of my own experience, you know. I'm not trying to put nothing on nobody. I know what I went through, and I know why I act stupid, you know. And uh, and I'm no different than, than uh, any other panther, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all go through that because that's called what we call a developmental stage, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Huey had his problems. Bobby had his problem. David had his problem. Elders had his problem. You know, everybody got issues, you know. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the trick is, is that the party, the people, are more important than the individual. That's the key. Yes, you know, that's, yes, I mean, you know that's, that's, that's what this is all about. That's why, you know, they love us. That's why they continue mm-hmm. to love us. You know, they see us doing a lot of stupid things. They hear us saying a lot of stupid stuff. But in their heart and in their soul, they know that there's something there, that seed that needs to be continued to be nourished, you know, because they believe that. They've been believing it for over 50 years, you know. So we got to keep working at it, you know, keep going the field, keep taking care of the crop, and, uh, Whenever we get a chance to talk to these, these killers out here and say, look, man, you know, I ain't trying to kill you. Why are you trying to kill me? Kill me. Right you know? on. Right you know what on. I mean? Like, we, I, I don't lovers, get Yeah. Lovers of the like, uh, Chairman Carl always says, the revolutionary must be a lover. And speaking of that, let's let's go to our phone lines. Let's click them in now, man. Let's click in uh, Chairman Carl. Chairman Carl. Yes, sir. Abu, your, your mic is open, man. Welcome to the program. Thanks for calling in, too. Uh, yes, and uh, definitely uh, is uh, it's definitely been a while, and definitely uh, once a panther, and I'm gonna say once a panther is always a panther, and that's based on that's one thing that we did during the '60s that we haven't did in this period of history of struggle. The '60s, the reason, one of the reasons, and the basis foundation of Black Panther Party was the NCCL, National Committee to Combat Fascism. That simply meaning that you couldn't just come in and get a leather jacket and a and a sky blue shirt and some black combat boots and walk out and say you're a panther. Uh, that's right. like uh, that's like buying a car, getting in without studying the manual how to drive. 
Many brothers come in the organization because they put on the uniform. They think they have the uh, panther ideology. Your uniform is your ideology. That's simply meaning that we have field marshals that come in and gave the reason of the test. You had to know the 10-point platform program. You had to know the rules and regulations. You had to be in physical shape. Uh, you had to know how to break down, defend yourself, and arm yourself. And at the same time, one of the greatest tests was before we even deal with breaking down and defending ourselves, we had to show whether we really love the people. That means you woke up in the morning, you did your breakfast program, you sold your papers, you did what you had to do. That was part of your training. Today, right. we just jump in. We just jump in. That's like a brother going to the military, putting on a uniform, and jumping battle. Mm. Automatically, mm. he's going to be wiped out. So what is happening today is that we've been romanticized the history and not studying <laughs> history and not understanding that those who made history themselves were students who studied. And so today, many of us are like of, of studying. We can go out and we can talk about the oppression, but like the brother broke down the Lumpen Proletarium, that was beautiful. Why? Why was it so beautiful? Because the Lumpen was the most oppressed class. And <laughs> And I want to share this with the brother and sister. We were so powerful back then, the United States government using our program. The church was using our program, feeding the people, clothing the people, but they're not giving them the revolutionary philosophy and ideology that, that need us to become independent in terms of moving our movement. So I like to say this. One of the main problems we had with the new formation is light of Panther education. Mm-hmm. Come on. Does not make a man. If the police come in your house and you in the bathtub and you running out butt naked, he ain't gonna stop. He gonna say that's a naked panther. Let's get him. <laughs> right on. So, so uh, our uniform is our philosophy and our ideology. Our philosophy mm-hmm. and our ideology is based upon us. Being oppressed as a people, and I love the way the brother broke it down, uh, Brother Chairman from San Diego. We studied history of other people's struggle. We understood what socialism is. You go ask some panther today, and I don't mean no harm, but if it hurts, then sometimes you wake up. You ask some panther today, what is socialism? He couldn't tell you. What is communism? He or she couldn't tell you. Why? Because we have not studied. What is fascism that we're moving into? How do it come by? What is the stage? What is the birth? Could we see the sign of it rising? And the NCCF, National Committee to Combat Fascism, the United States government moved against the NCCF to keep that baby from growing and becoming into a a mature panther movement. And many NCCF chapters was wiped out before they can even become pledged panthers because the United States government knew that education and the proper education, the proper revolutionary education was dangerous. So I just want to say that, that many of the brothers today is glorifying and the comrades that is in the grave, the comrades that is in prison, the comrades that was run out of the country. But these comrades were not only revolutionary soldiers, but they were revolutionary teachers. Revolutionary right well, one of the things that one of the things I got from you, Dad, one of the things I got from you, Chairman Kahar, was that that I remember, you know, coming up, you would always say that 
you know, explaining what the revolutionary was. And you said the revolutionary is what the people need him to be. If the people need a farmer, the revolutionary will put down the rifle, begin to farm. If the revolutionary, uh, the people need a teacher, the revolutionary is a teacher. The revolutionary is a carpenter. The revolutionary is what the people need the revolutionary to be. And I think that education, you know, that's one of the things that I will thank you for is the importance of stressing political education, revolutionary political education, to understand the enemy that we're combating and the dangers that we face. Listen, I can keep your mic open, Abu, Chairman Kahar, and uh, I'm going to go to the phone lines because um, they have been patient. We're going to open up your mic, area code 762-6675. Your mic is open. Hey, uh, what's going on? Nephew, what's happening, man? Hey, man. I want to I want I want to say this I want to say this right now you know after after hearing the chairman speak you know what I'm saying everybody you know we just they just let you know you know we need to go back to the books and always remember where you where you come from where the roots lie and, and stay strong in that you know what yeah. I'm saying mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. for a fact you absolutely know, but absolutely. Uh, but I wanted to rap with you about uh, you know on all levels. You know, I get asked that all the time, you know, oh, it's all these different branches. Uh you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Of yeah. Of that nature. But this is but you know, but this is what you gotta understand. These people not finna give up their identity. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? We gotta mm-hmm. find common ground. These these people who established brotherhood, camaraderie amongst each other, they're not gonna give up their identity. You know what I'm saying? And you know, behind the wall, you got all these different, you know, factions, set organizations, and, and religions, and and, and and you know what I'm. You know, I level with them all. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't come to convert you or, or, or nothing like that. You know, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, uh, uh, get our sights locked in on the same. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, on the same target. Right on. But you know, nephew, I have to say this, though, because I agree with you. People are not going to give up their identity, not give up what they established. But if what you established is not uh, right and exact, you know, if you built a reputation based on people's former reputation, a lot of these formations have built reputations on the name the Panther for work they haven't put in. Come from somebody that came up uh, a crip. You feel me? And, and and coming up in that whole understanding, it wasn't there are different sets of the Crips. You know, you had man, there's many sets of the Crips with different Crip bylaws. But the Crip Nation, the whole is a Crip. There's certain things that you see. Everybody know just one of the answers. Everybody know Crip gonna wear blue. If you see a brother wearing red and he hollering about he a Crip, your all senses in your mind are gonna trigger. We're saying the same thing, not equating the Panthers to any gang formation, but we're saying the same logic applies here. If you're saying that you're a Panther, and the Panther, this cat, has been established as a legacy, as a symbol of resistance, as a symbol of revolution, as a symbol of change, as a symbol of anti-oppression and anti-exploitation for exploited people and oppressed people, then to come in to use that and to be something contrary to that really is a crime against the masses of people because it's also for it's like somebody running a daycare but you're really a child molester. You know right. what I'm saying? You're it's 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 a false uh, it's false. 
is what we call you've been in the used to be in the street tribes, homie. You know the streets is what they call false flagging. <laughs> you false flagging. You right. ain't real. You know, so it's not a matter of we're saying, hey, disband and give that up. What we're saying is that let us come together, let us have a discussion, let us all first agree on if we're gonna use this name that there has been principles established with the ten point platform and program, the bylaws, there's certain um really should be undisputed rules and an undisputed understanding for coming up under that title. And then we can begin to discuss the by, the certain bylaws that your particular formation may have. And then to be brief in, in saying that, my also I would say what would bring us together is respecting everybody's space. Listen, my chief of staff is magnificent, man. The brother here can do his thing. And one of the things he has broke down in our manual is we have mechanisms. And in these mechanisms – the uh, department mechanisms he uses for the words departments. There are various departments: community department, economic department, defense department, political department. And so we're saying that if you have a party that is primarily defense, let's work together. You know, let's get together, and that could be your forte. You can be defense. Let's cross train. Right. Pressure right. does it. They cross-train with other nations militarily, politically. They economically exchange with other nations. So let's cross-train. If your thing is primary defense, I think what has happened, though, is like what Chairman Trinnell has said, and, and I thought he so adequately put it. He is saying that everybody has found their little niche, has found their thing that is going to big up them, for lack of better words, and not only do they hold to that, but they make that, the primary philosophy of the Panthers. They're saying if, yo, yo, if you don't have a gun, if you ain't out here in these streets marching with your pistol, you ain't a Panther. You can't put that and say that that's all that the that the Panther thing is about. And I think that that's very important to be um, very important to be noted. Everybody has a role to play, so play your role. I struggle right. just like when monolithic people. We're not a single-minded people or a single. Um, direction type of people with diverse people, our struggle is diverse. We're being attacked from every angle, not just physically attacked, but we're also economically being attacked, social, culturally, and politically being attacked. And so that if your forte is a particular area of the struggle and you're saying you're a panther, let's get together, let's come together, and let's work on that. I can assist you in that. Mine may be my strong point or the area that I love to work in most is political education. You know what I'm saying? So work with me on that. Send some of your troops over this way. I don't want your troops. You know, we have to get out of this um, want to be the big man or the big woman in our formations and so scared that we're going to lose people. Like what Chairman Trinnell said, and I know I've been quoting him all night, is that it has to be a love of the party and a love of the people before it's a love of the self. You know, mm-hmm. and let me mm-hmm. open up Abu's line. But go ahead, nephew. Chairman Carl, your mic is back open. Yeah. Just to let you know. But I want nephew to finish his thought. I don't want to cut him off. But go ahead, nephew. You you had some more to add to that? No, man. Just just you know, just rapping with you. You know. Hey, man. I'm glad you. I'm glad you called in, man. Tell the brothers behind enemy line, Abby Kwanzo, Moja. You know, and tell them you know the parties I inform, man. The people love them. Keep their heads up behind. They use this opportunity for train study. Get their minds together. Don't let that situation, circumstances break them. They break it. You dig? Okay. Oh, uh, uh, real, real quick, real quick, yes, though, uh, quick, quick thought. You know, uh, you got a brother. You got a brother in here. He didn't did uh, uh, thirty years, and 
and they and they they forgiving him for it. He gonna be released any day wow. now. The ninety day the ninety days is up, and he actually asked me, you know, where my formation was. Uh, you know, he just wanted to know some details. I'm not sure. Okay, what's he being released to? On. What cities he being released to? I didn't. I didn't ask him yet. I just yep. told him I was going. I was going. You know. He's your, he's your dude. You you know he's your dude, nephew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. you can get my personal number. You can get my math, man. Tell him get up with me. Yeah, he's been, he been gone. He's been gone thirty years, and he and he uh, the counselor came down here and told him one day like, yo, they they forgive you, and so you know he his ninety days, it's up. So I'm thinking yeah, well, listen, I know that gone. that's going to be traumatic. After 30 years, it's real. You know, coming back and to the street, it's right. real. And the fact that he wants to participate in, in you know, in um, our struggle for empowerment, man, says a lot. You know, so give him my math, and maybe I may even have a few connections that can help him out, help him get acclimated back into society. And however I can work with him, I'm sure I can. And I'm sure that any our listeners on the call and our chairman in San Diego and our chairman in Cleveland stuff will be more than, you know, whatever resources we have at our disposal to help the brother get acclimated back in society and, to, you know, find his way and to participate in the struggle, man. That, that's definitely not a problem. Yeah, I uh, I shoot you I shoot you more detail, uh, you know, at, at a later time. And okay, sounds good enough, you. All right, Black Pound, sounds go on mute. All right, man, Black we'll Pound. talk. You and I talk. You and I talk. All right, all right. Um, so that's I think there again. This is your national chairman, Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party, Independent Talk Radio. Our radio takes an opportunity to share our comments, opinions, and, and, and you know, just express how we're feeling. We're talking about the backbone of the revolution is the lumping proletariat. We have our Chairman Trinell on for San Diego Black Panther Parties, man. One of my had, has quickly become one of my personal favorite chairmen. Love speaking to the brother. Um, and we also have my father on, um, Chairman uh, Abdul Kahar, Cleveland, Ohio, National Chairman of the Panther Education Committee, on sharing with us today. And let's go to you, um, Chairman Carr, because I asked Chairman Trinnell. Are you there, Abu? Yes. Okay. You know, I asked Chairman Trinnell one of the things, of, and one of the questions I asked him was, why did, you know, that development, the original party, see what what significance did they see in the lumping um, to really start to address the lumping instead of the proletarian, knowing that they had studied communism, what made them not say, you know, what Karl Marx and Frederick Engels said, that the lumping proletarian were reactionaries, that they were counter-revolutionary, that they were subject to take payoffs and bribes from the powers that be, so therefore they really didn't grasp revolutionary consciousness or class struggle. What made them say, hey, you know what? That's, there is something, there is a revolutionary spark in the lumping proletarian, and these what Huey affectionately called the street brothers, you know, according to the writings that I've read, um, what made them say these are going to be the people that we target to move us and to push us into this revolutionary understanding, revolutionary movement? One of the things is what the government is afraid of is not so much a people but what he's afraid of is when the peoples become organized. The Lumpen was not an organized people. Uh, the United States government had criminalized the 
the, and I want to make it clear, had criminalized the upcoming revolutionary youth by criminalizing them as they do in the day. The criminalization of a generation simply meaning the criminalization of our freedom fighters. And so what we seen was the proletarian was most organized. The workers were organized. But the lumping, the majority of the people were not organized. And organizing a people under a revolutionary structure sends shockwaves through America. Because the unorganized people is subject to slavery, unorganized people subject to slavery, prison, drugs, genocide, self-destruction, broken family, miseducation. And when we came in, we said we're going to organize the least organized people that has energy. If they're out there selling drugs, they're taking chance. If they're out there hustling, they're taking chance. So we saying with that energy and that courage and that strength, if it's organized properly and has the proper view, then we can begin to move forward and build a people's movement. Now we got the lumping, the proletarian, we got all of these groups now coming together and we say all power to the people. That's me right. now that's me no people is left out. The lump has been left out for so long. So we said all power to the people, and we came together, and Jericho Hoover and made him and his father, the devil, burn. Jericho Hoover said, hold it. They organized into the most unfilled element in terms of class is that lumping. And he said our job is to destroy the Black Panther Party by all means necessary. And let me share this before I end to show you why. There was a million men marching Washington. Came back a million more movement marching Washington. They didn't worry about that, but they worried about whether they're going to come back and organize. Organization is our liberation. And they know that. They fear organization. And anytime they see a leader or anytime they see any chapter with strong leadership, they're going to send their counsel in. They're going to send their germ in. <laughs> dilute that leadership or discredit that leadership because they're afraid of organization. Organization is our salvation and organization is natural. The roaches is organized. That's why the orchid man got to come back every other month or more to kill a roach. So I'm saying that when we become organized, we're afraid of it. <laughs> So, brother, Jeff, you said the roaches are organized, man. Sir? You said the roaches are organized. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And, 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 and I'll show you how. If a roach come out and he get contaminated and he go back in the wall and you walk back and you see all these roaches laid, I see the orchid man did a good job. No, they didn't. The roaches in the wall kicked those suckers out because they're contaminated. Mm. See? They don't allow them to contaminate the nest. This is why they got to keep coming back. That one they get contaminated goes back into the nest, he throw them out. He organized, you know, and this is why they're still around. So I'm saying that what, what, what the Creator gave us and gave our ancestors 
To be unorganized is not to be natural. I say it again. To be unorganized is not to be natural. Your body is organized. And the greatest thing in your body that has a function, but you've got to know how to use it, is called the asshole. You've got to get rid of the shit. <laughs> and so in our organization, we got some assholes. Yeah, yes, sir. So we yes, got to organize, organize, like Carmen Organize, 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 brothers and sisters, and and they're afraid of that. They're afraid of organization. Yeah. yeah, and especially coming, I think one of my things is when I study why they would fear the the so-called lumping organizing is because when you look at this lumping, when you look at these people in this state of poverty in some of the most deplorable conditions, and you're looking at people who are already exposed to revolutionary conditions. You know, I mean, listen, lack of food, very limited clothing, lights being already, you know, lights being off, cold water, you know, I mean, gunshots every day in their communities. So when you begin to politicize these people who have no, um, I don't want to say no fear, but have already become immune to certain things that society takes for granted their safety, their nice rooms, their clothing, being able to go in the refrigerator and get what they want to eat. What you're dealing with it, when you begin to organize the people that are hungry, you know, and want change, those are people that will begin to institute a change. Chairman Trinell, I'd love to hear your take on everything that Chairman Carr said and, and just what has been said by nephew and, and previous callers. Well, first of all, I, I love uh, hearing what the chairman had to say, you know, my daddy used to say, every day you don't learn something, you owe somebody, you know. So I really love the way he put it in a very simplistic way. Uh, one of the problems we have in, in uh, trying to retain information is sometimes it's given to us in such a complex way that we can't organize it and formulate it in our head so we forget most of it, you know. Uh, but the way the brother chairman laid it out, you know, it, it's really hard to forget what he said. You know, it was down to earth and talking to the people. It's something they can visualize, they can see. And if, if they can't visualize it or see it, they know that they uncle or they, they auntie or they daddy or they mama or they grandfather or grandmama told them about it. So now they can can put a, a, a subject uh, uh, to the face, and now it makes more sense. You know, than it did uh, uh, earlier. I can remember things my dad used to say I never paid attention to until he passed away. And when he passed away, now I hear all his sayings, all the things he used to say to me that I didn't pay attention to then. You know, right. so you know, so to be able to hear the brother chairman break it down in such an understanding way is a blessing. Um, your nephew. Um, you know, one of the things that has always been part of the goals and objectives of the, the Panther Party is to realize those that have been left behind. There is so much talk nowadays about uh, respecting the veterans and salute the veterans and thank the veterans and the military people and the law enforcement, you know. You know, all this this propaganda and stuff, you know, 
they can take that someplace else, you know. I'm not biting. Uh, you know, we, we've been in this war uh, uh, forever, uh, fighting for human rights. And uh, uh, they should be telling everybody to salute us, to thank us for our service, you know. Uh, we the one that brought them uh, the free breakfast and uh, uh, local neighborhood clinics and meals on wheels for the elderly and uh, uh, taking uh, uh, sick and disabled uh, people in the community back and forth to the doctor and uh, protecting those that couldn't protect themselves. You know, they should be saluting us, you know, but right. that's another subject for another time. Uh what the nephew said uh, 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 about the young brother, or the old brother now, 30 years, in a, in a prison industrial complex is a, is a travesty. You know, I, I uh, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to all the brothers and sisters is in there uh, uh, because of uh, uh, an unjust system, whichever way they want to say it. He did this and he did that. Well, the government is responsible for uh, the care uh, of its people, and that's the government's responsibility. So if anyone is to be blamed for anything, the government should be blamed for everything because it's the government's responsibility to provide people with the rights and privileges that goes along with that citizen of that country. So, you know, let's not get this educational thing misplaced. Um, uh, you know, one of the things I was saying earlier before I got off track is that part of the, the goals and objectives that we concentrate on is the brothers and sisters left behind, and we consider them political prisoners in spite of what the Justice Department says, or whatever, they're political prisoners because the government has not protected them socially, economically, and politically. So since they were had no protection and now they're incarcerated, uh, that means the system uh, was not there for them. So that means the system is unjust. Uh, we don't want to make things complicated. To us, it's simple. And we're never going to allow them to try to flip it on us and make us think like we owe them something as far as rehabilitation is concerned. No, you owe us for all the dastardly things you've done for all these hundreds of years. And you think we're going to turn around and kiss your ass? It ain't going to happen. You did That's it. Right. You know, you created this fucking madness. You know, you're the one that went to the United Nations and, and changed the, the capital from where it was and put it in Jerusalem, in spite of the fact that the whole United Nations voted against you, you know. So Come you on. take that crap someplace else, you know. And we're not buying it. We're not going for it. What the uh, brother chairman was saying about the educational part of it, and like I say, he made it so simple, is that sometimes it goes right past people. And I, I wish I could have said it as good as he did, is that – uh. uh when the people understand these different terms and whatnot, like the proletariat, the working class, and the lump of proletariat, the lower class, then they begin to see a trend. 
And when you attach those definitions to the current economic, social, and political situation, then it becomes more, more, more visible. You know, it becomes more alive. A lot of our youth has a problem in connecting the dots, and they have yeah. a problem connecting the dots because they grew up on PlayStation and Xbox and, and all this other stuff instead of growing up with having a foundation of knowledge. So now that they're getting older and they're realizing that they have to look at the world from where we had to look at it, they kind of like behind step. Now they're trying to catch up. Now they want to talk to Chairman Yanga. Now they want to talk to the chairman from, 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 from Cleveland. You know, now they want to talk. You know, well, we've been talking for a long time. It's just that you didn't have no patience and you didn't have no time for us. But now that you realize that you're living in a global community, you want to more. You want to know more. You want to know how we get it and how do we get from here to there. You know, so now you're coming back home just like the prodigal son. You know, mm-hmm. you went out there and did your thing. Your daddy did his thing. Your mama did her thing. <clears throat> but you ain't got no fat on your brain. You know, mm-hmm. so now you want to come home and get reeducated. Well, you know what? I ain't mad at you. That's you know, right. Come on back I'm home. I'm still here. Leave the light on. So, you want to you want to be taught? We'll teach you. If you yeah. want to see, we'll give you eyes. If you want to hear, we'll provide you with ears. You know, but um, come on with it. You know, because we we ain't with no place. We ain't going no place. We were mm-hmm. here before you were born, and we'll be here when you die. When you're gone, you'll be, you know, but that's one of the things, too, to jump in there. That's why, you know, what this radio program is about. I, you know, purposely on my Tuesdays, and let me say this, Thursdays I'll be coming out with another, you know, another program called Real Talk, which will be more geared towards and more directed towards the masses of the people. So it won't be, you know, quite on this level of the game. Same message, different delivery type of thing. But that's why I particularly hold these Tuesdays as this radio program is sponsored by what the national chairman is, is the Panther Education Committee, because we have a lot of revolutionary movements that, like Chairman Carr is saying, can't break down socialism, communism, fascism, capitalism, you know, and calling themselves political revolutionary movements or revolutionary movements, period, and not knowing. And, and my question is always, well, what is your revolution geared towards? You know, more power for yourself or more, you know, um, so – <laughs> these programs are geared to that, and I hope to draw more of a nice little listening base. I didn't, I didn't expect so many listeners on the first night of Kwanzaa. So I am there again. Let me thank everyone who did listen in our last three minutes of the show. But that's what this show is particularly geared for. So listen, let, tell your people in your party if they're about getting politically educated. Tell the brothers and sisters that you know that want to be politically educated. Tuesday night, People's Black Panther Party, they're about the political education. I'm hoping to have uh, Chairman Trinnell on regularly, more as regularly as, 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 as you know, his time allows. Chairman Kahal, whom I'm hoping to have on more regularly, to be able to have to share with the masses of people. Um, in my last couple minutes, I want to thank everyone again for listening in. There again, I'm your brother, National Chairman Yang Nkrumah, People's Black Panther Party, with our Chairman Trinnell, San Diego Black Panther Party, Self-Defense, our brother, um, Chairman Kahal, National um, national Director of the Panther Education Committee, Chairman of Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you, brother, so much for the contributions, man, and, and just coming on and making this program a success. Nephew, 
You know, love you, nephew, and everybody that listened in. Hope to catch you next week, Tuesday. Check us out Thursday, Real Talk with your boy Yanga, talking about this situation that we're in, coming at you live and direct. It may not always be a family show. Language may be a little, you know, a little uh, uh, rough around the edges, but we're going to be coming real. We're going to be coming live. Jimmy Clark, did you want to say something in our last minute? Were you trying to say something? Yes. United we live. We die as a people, die as a family, die as a community, die as a nation. But united we live, divided we die. That's right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we want to thank everyone for coming on there again. Um, I'm your your host, National Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party. I leave you as I greet you with all powers to oppress people, African power to an African people, and black power. Black power. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did. Pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gonna body this hood, politics, acknowledge Leave bodies chopped up in garbage, seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us, police watch us, roll up and try knocking us. Money I duck, could it be my time is up with my luck? I got up, the cop shot again. Bust stop glass burst, a fiend drops his Heineken. Ricochet in between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out, I shoot back, fuck getting hit. This is my hood, I'm a rat to the death of it. To everybody, come on, little niggas is grown. Look, rats, don't abortion your wound. We need more warriors soon. Sit from the star, sun, and the moon. And it's like a police chase, the street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience, leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die. Everybody gotta die sometime Hope your funeral never get shot up Bullets tear through the innocent Nothing is fair Niggas roll up Shooting from wheelchairs My heart is racing Tasting revenge in the air I let this shit slide between